If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. This is the word of the Lord. It's great to be with you this morning. I hope you all had a very Merry Christmas and are looking forward to the new year. I am really, really excited about this chapter of the Bible. Um, I, I get kind of weird when, when I read the Bible. Uh, I have a habit, whether it's good or bad, in that when I read it, I place myself in the middle of the story. And when I do, I just ask a boatload of questions. I was always like that as a kid. My mom used to say, Rick, you'd argue with a signpost because you asked so many questions. But my mom also used to say to us kids, if you kids had a brain cell in your head, you'd take it out and play with it. So she had five kids though. So you have to understand when you raise five kids, you say things maybe that you don't mean and, and all that kind of stuff. So I love my mom. I'm not here to hate on her, okay? She's actually gonna be listening to this. She was one of my biggest cheerleaders. Every time I preach, she says, hey, send me the link to the, you know, online. I'll get on it. She gives it to all her friends and everywhere. So I got to make sure I'm talking well. My mom, mom you're, you're, I appreciate you, mom. Okay. So anyway, this story is in 1 Kings 22, as we said earlier. And unlike other parts of the Bible that may be, now let's just face it. There are some parts that are boring. Can we use that word? Okay. You get into Leviticus numbers, parts of Deuteronomy. That's where Bible reading calendars go to die right? Okay. But 1 Kings 22 is not one of those places. It's actually quite an exciting story. And I think personally, it's one of the most hilarious chapters in the Bible. The story is quite humorous. And in order to grasp what we're getting into here, we'll give you a little background. The nation of Israel at this time is a divided kingdom. So there's two, there's the, there's a kingdom of Israel, kingdom of Judah, nation of Israel, nation of Judah. And Israel has 10 tribes, Judah has two. Each of them have their own king. Now, the main players in here is a guy named Ahab. Ahab is the king of Israel. He's a bad dude, okay? We know he's bad because he's married to a gal named Jezebel, okay? Not a Jezebel, the Jezebel, okay? And if your wife's name is Jezebel, that's not good, okay? And if she's the Jezebel, it's even worse. So that's who this guy is. He's a bad guy. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. I don't know who names their kid Jehoshaphat, but this guy got the, you know, that's what he ended up in life. So he's the king of Judah, but he's a good guy. And you're going to see as we get in the story, I think you'll like him. Okay. Now we're going to make, I'm going to go kind of fast because we're, we're headed to the climax, which is the end, which for me is the best part because I get to tell stories. I'm a story guy. So we get to tell you some personal stories. So stay with me. We're going to read a lot of verses. They'll be up on the screen. And, uh, I know the guys in the AV appreciate all their help with this. Start in verse 1 of 1 Kings 22. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as you are, my horses are your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first of the word of the Lord. Now, we need to understand something about Ramoth Gilead. Ramoth Gilead was a town in Israel that was a part of the original promised land. So when God promised to Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you this land in Canaan, known as what we call the promised land, Ramoth Gilead was a part of that. But what happened is, the Assyrian Empire came and they conquered Ramoth Gilead. And so Ahab is basically saying to Jehoshaphat, hey, 
Will you go with me and join force with me so we can take back our land? Now you would expect Jehoshaphat to say, sure, it's our land from the beginning. It was God's part of the promised land. Why wouldn't we want to do that? I'm in. But that's not what he says. He says, uh, yeah, let's uh, first, let's inquire of the Lord. You think, what's up with that? Why would you need to inquire of the Lord? Isn't it obvious? This is our land. I mean, someone came and took the land. This is rather obvious. I think the first lesson we learn here is that which is obvious is not always God. Listen, guys, that which is obvious is not always God. Many of us have what I call uh, an open-door theology when it comes to determining what God's will is. You know what I'm talking about? The doors are open. Oh, must be God. Same people have an open-door theology, have a closed-door theology. The doors are closed. Well, now the devil's out after us. Okay? I mean, let's just be honest. That theology revolves around what we really want to do in the first place. And when we don't get what we want, it's the devil's fault. And when the doors are open to what we want, it's God's blessing. What's obvious is not always God. Let me give you a story. A young couple from our location out in Washington named Adam and Jane Mitchell. They're both leaders in our congregation out there. Um, Adam had a job this year that was extremely stressful. It's a lot of hours a lot of emotional, mental energy put in. He'd get home at six or seven at night, be exhausted, was no good to the kids or his wife. And this boss came to him at some point and said, look, we've got a promotion. Adam had worked diligently for a promotion, got this promotion offer. It was going to be a significant amount of money increase to his salary. But they wanted to move him. They needed to move him to Las Vegas. Now, the thing about decisions, when you and I make decisions, here's what, here's what is revealed in our decisions. What we really value is seen in the motivation behind our decisions. You can say you value this or you value this, and I can say I value this or I value that. But when it really comes, when the rubber meets the road, it's all revealed behind the motivation in our decision making. Now, most people would say, hey, it's a raise in salary. That's obviously God. God would want to bless. Wouldn't he want to do that? I mean, that just makes sense. Why? Those are people, and sometimes we can be that way, who are mainly motivated by money. If you're motivated by money, every job offer that comes with an increase in salary is God's blessing. But that which is obvious is not always God. So Adam and Jane prayed about it. And after and they asked the elders of the church, which is a good thing when you have big decisions, to pray about it. So we did. Now, if you're getting ready to tell a guy, hey, we don't think this is a good thing for you to take an increase in salary, you better have heard from the Lord. (laughs) But they came to that conclusion on their own and they turned it down. They didn't want to leave the church. They felt like God called them there, felt like God's purposes for them there weren't done. Shortly thereafter, he was offered another job, which he took for less money The hours were better. He'd be home by 3 o'clock. He is home by 3 o'clock, 3.30 every day. He's got a lot of energy for his kids, for his wife. He's happy. He feels refreshed. And it's just great. And then part of the the job is a commission-based salary, a commission-based income. And about two or three months after he was hired, he was able to get his salary to the place where now it almost equaled what he was going to be offered with a job promotion. That which is obvious is not always God. And Jehoshaphat recognized that. And that's why I said, hey, is there, let's inquire the Lord first. 
They knew, Adam and Jane, along with many of us, we know, listen guys, we need to, we need to understand that we were placed on this earth and Greg alluded to it earlier, not for our purposes or our plans, but for God's purposes and his plans. And when we get that, it'll affect every decision we ever make. Look at this verse in Colossians 1, 16, verse B, 16b. Everything was created through him, referring to Jesus. Everything was created through him and for him. You and I were created by Jesus and for him. So when we get that, that becomes the motivation for every decision we make. And Jehoshaphat had that within him. He knew that he belonged to God and his purposes were centered on God. Let's go back to the story, verse six. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not here another prophet of the Lord whom we may inquire? Now just stop right there. Have you ever been in a situation where 400 people are telling you that what you really want to do, they're confirming for you that what you really want to do is a good thing. And yet you said, I think I need one more opinion. 400 people? 400 people telling you not only that this is a good thing, but hey, this is the Lord. And Jehoshaphat says, is there another prophet around? Think, what's up with that? Well, I think what's happening, and you can see it in the earlier verses, when... Ahab is talking to the prophets. He, he leaks out, if you will, what he really wants to do. Hey, should we go up to Ramoth Gilead to take this land, which is rightfully ours, or should we not? What do you guys think? Well, they don't want to get their heads chopped off. Oh, yeah, it's the Lord. Let's do that. So Jehoshaphat is seeing this take place. Everybody is in agreement. And he says, no, 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 no. I'm a little uncomfortable with this. Is there yet another prophet? Listen, guys, beware when the advice you're getting, all the advice, is exactly what you want to hear. Here's a good question to ask somebody who agrees with you. Can you give me a reason why this would be a bad idea? I don't usually ask that question. I get one or two people agreeing with me, man, I just hit the road, Jack, don't look back. I mean, I'm done. You know, I'm gone. We're doing it. Let alone 400 but Jehoshaphat was seeing how this was playing. Everybody was in agreement. It's like, no, 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 no. I don't like where this is going. Is there not yet another prophet of the Lord? Let's go down to verse eight. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, this is hilarious. There is yet one man by whom we may inquire the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah, but I hate him. He never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Now you see what Ahab said? He didn't say, look, I don't really like this guy. You know, he's, he's not, he doesn't always have good news. No, he didn't say, he says, I hate him. I hate this guy. Why? Because Micaiah tells him the truth. Isn't it interesting how when we seek the counsel of other people, the people who don't tell us what we want to hear, we consider it bad counsel. And the people who tell us what we do want to hear, oh, they give good counsel. Listen, all of us in our life have at least one person who over the years continually seems to give us advice that runs contrary to what we want to do. It may be your employer. It may be your spouse. It may be your parents. It may be whomever. And our tendency is just to dismiss it. 
Oh, there's such a downer. Every time I get an idea, and I prayed about my ideas, I think God's in it, but no, no, no. They just, they don't, they don't, you know. You don't want to spend a little money here. No, there's such a tightwad. They don't ever want to spend money. Don't ever want to take a risk. And we label them so we can dismiss them. Listen, they might be just like Micaiah, bringing you truth. We do well to listen to the people who play that role in our life and not be dismissive of them because God can speak through whomever he wants. He can speak through whomever he wants. Let's continue. Verse nine. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imla. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. Now this writer is going into some detail about this scene. I mean, this is going to take on some drama, okay? And Zedekiah, verse 11, the son of Chanana, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied, said, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Can you just see how this is taking place? I mean, this is really a spectacle, is it not? Verse 13. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that will I speak. Now, once again, I've got a warped imagination, so I play this out in my mind. They sent to him Dwayne Johnson. 6'4", 280 pounds, totally ripped. Totally ripped. And I can imagine this guy goes to Micaiah and says, hey, bud, here's the deal. We've got 400 prophets in the other room who are telling the king what he wants to hear. And if you know what's good for you, you'll do the same. You got it? I mean, that's probably what happened. And Micaiah says, look, I'm going to say what the Lord says. This is where it gets really funny. Verse 15. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, Shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it in the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Now, when you read this, you don't get the tone, the inflection of the voice or the tone of the voice. I can just imagine how this goes. So Micaiah walks in, Ahab goes, okay, Micaiah, here we go again. Tell me what you think the Lord's saying. And Micaiah probably rolls his voice, goes, Sure, go up to Ramoth Gilead. You'll be successful, right? And Ahab just loses it. How many times do I got to tell you? Tell me the truth. You're killing me, Smalls. Come on, what's the matter? And they got this thing that they just go back and forth. I just think it's absolutely hilarious. And so Micaiah says, okay, you want the truth? Here we go. Yeah, you can't handle it. Verse 17, and he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. Now listen, Ahab is the shepherd. So that sentence right there, that is bad news for Ahab. Are you with me? He says, like you're no shepherd at all. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home and in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he not prophesied good concerning me, but evil? 
And Micaiah said, therefore, he's not done yet, is he? He said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the hosts of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? And one said one thing and another said another. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. Now, listen, this guy's outnumbered 400 to one. And he just insulted all 400 of them right there. 400 to one. This guy has got some guts. But he knew who had his back. He knew who had his back. Let's keep reading. Verse 23. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord... Okay, read that. Verse 24. Then Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, how did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, seize Micaiah, take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king... Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, if you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, hear all you peoples. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now, obviously, somewhere between verse 8 and verse 30, Jehoshaphat loses his mind. I don't know why you'd agree to that. Can you imagine this conversation? Ahab goes, hey, I got an idea. Now, Micaiah said this isn't going to go good with me. So here's the plan. I won't wear the royal robes. Instead, you wear them. I'll dress like a normal soldier. You okay with that? Sure, let's do that. Who in the right mind would agree to that? It's like, are you out of your mind? Now, what is Ahab doing? He's trying to circumvent the word of the Lord, right? He's trying to circumvent the word of the Lord. Now, this sounds very similar to a prophet named Jonah, doesn't it? Where God says to this prophet, hey, go to Nineveh and preach to these people. But Jonah was a racist and didn't like the people in Nineveh. So he gets on a boat and goes to Tarshish. But guess what? God ends up having his way and he ends up in Nineveh. And so Ahab's trying to circumvent the word of the Lord. Now we stand some over 2,000 years on this side of the story and we look at this and we say, well, that's stupid. You can't do that. Oh, really? Listen, folks, there's a little bit of Ahab in all of us. Look at this verse, John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is what Jesus is saying. There are people who try and circumvent that truth all the time. They're trying to gain access to God, relationship with God through good works, through saying the right prayers, giving to charity, showing up on Sunday morning, doing this, doing this. We could do the list is endless. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, well, what's that all about? Well, God is a righteous being. In fact, he's the judge. And if a judge is worth his weight in salt, he has to be just. That makes sense. 
That's why we call it justice. But a judge who is not just, who knowingly lets the guilty go free, cannot be trusted. If you and I knew of a judge in St. Louis who let the guilty go free, we'd be telling everybody, stay away from that judge. We need to get him out of there. We can't trust him. So if God is who he says he is, the righteous judge, then he has to, he has to judge and punish sin. He has to. And guess what? You and I are sinners. That's the bad news. The good news is God in his mercy sent his son to take our sin upon the cross. And when we place our faith and trust that he took our place, it should have been us on that cross, there's a heavenly exchange that takes place. He is given our sin and we are given his righteousness. And now we're able to have a relationship with God because now we're the righteousness of Christ. You believe that? Anybody get up this morning and say, I'm righteous in Jesus. Hallelujah. Yes, you are. I remember one time I was teaching a class of a bunch of leaders and I said, uh, has anybody here sinned today? It was nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> one guy raised their hand, John Lamferman, one of the founding elders in the back of the class. And I looked at the guy on the front row. I said, his name was Ted. I said, Ted, what have you done this morning? Well, I don't know. I just figured I'd sinned. You're righteous in Christ. It doesn't mean we don't sin. But listen, John 16, one of the, the, the ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict people of sin, judgment, and righteousness. When was the last time you were convicted of righteousness? Look at this other verse, Matthew 4, 4. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We try and circumvent that all the time. Do we really believe that? Those of us who are going to be entering into some kind of fast, if it's part of a food fast, whether it's partial or the full 21 days, we're going to find out just how much our body craves food. Because you're going to hear voices and sounds come out of your belly that you've not heard in a long, long time. And you're going to get headaches. And you're going to, you know, there's going to be this voice to say, this is nuts, this is nuts. Why are you doing this? Let me ask you, do you crave the word of God to that extent? that when you don't spend time in the word of God, it's like, oh, I miss it. Oh, I feel hungry for it. Listen, there's a little bit of Ahab in all of us. We're constantly trying to circumvent the word of the Lord. Let's bring this home. Verse 31, now the king of Syria had commanded the 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is surely the king of Israel. So they turned to fight against him and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing. Now, I don't know if he had a license plate on his chariot or something, you know, king of Judah, not Israel or something. I don't know, but somehow they figured it out, okay? Verse 34, but a certain man drew his bow at random. At random and struck the king of Israel between the scale of armor and the breastplate. Therefore, he said to the driver's chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle for I'm wounded. And the battle continued that day and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot. Ahab did everything he could to circumvent the word of the Lord. And yet God in heaven pulled back a bow and shot an arrow at random that accomplished his purpose.
Listen, guys. God is the master archer who is shooting arrows, random arrows, at you, at those around you all day long to accomplish his purpose of letting you know how much he loves you. He is relentlessly after you so that you will know how much he loves you. How much he is, his plans for you are good. How much, Psalm 23, it's a very popular passage. David says, your goodness and mercy follow me How many? All the days of my life. Let me translate that for you. There's not a day that you've lived when God hasn't sent his mercy and kindness after you, shooting arrows to show you how much he loves you. Random arrows. Let me tell you a couple stories. My life has been identified and defined by God's random arrows. I'm so grateful to have. Years ago, we were part of a denominational church. We were placed in a small town in Michigan. We had one week of orientation, and our goal was to start a church in southwest Michigan. We didn't know what we were doing any more than the man in the moon. At the end of that two years, this is in the early 80s, long before internet, cell phones, anything like that. They said, look, we'll move you wherever you you want to go. And so uh, right before then, Gail, we were trying to plan a family. Gail got pregnant. We were ecstatic. And so they were going to move us in September. And uh, so um, at the time, I read an article about a guy who had planted a church out in Southern California, a guy named Rick Warren. Rick Warren now pastors Saddleback Church. It's about 25, 30,000 people. Nobody knew who he was at the time. I just read an article about it. I picked up the phone and just called him. I said, hey, do you have an internship program? I'd love to learn how to plant a church. Would you teach me? He said, well, we don't have a program here. He said, but I know a guy in Seattle who does. Let me put you in touch with him. Gave me his contact info. I called him. We were all set to move to Seattle in September of that year. And um, I was going to start this program. About three or four weeks before we were going to move, it all fell through. And I called Rick back and said, hey, even if you don't have a program, I'll move out. We'll move out there. I'll get a job will you spend some time with me? He said, sure, come on out. So that's what we did. But before we left, Gail had some complications with her pregnancy. So we went to the doctor. This is, I didn't know at the time you could actually, a husband could go into the, you know, in, in, into the, the appointment with his wife. So I sat out in the waiting room. She came out of the appointment and I could tell she was visibly shaken. And I said, honey, what's the matter? She said, I can't, I can't talk. We went out to the car and she just burst into tears. I said, what happened? She said, the doctor said, there's a one out of 10 chance I'm gonna keep this baby. He said, you can't move next week. We are planning on getting in the U-Haul and going the next week. He said, you gotta give her bed rest for a while. During that time, my wife prayed and God pulled back his bow and shot a random arrow that landed in her heart. And she had the impression, that's all it was, you're going to give birth to a healthy boy. She hung on to that. We waited a week or two, got in the U-Haul. If you don't know it, U-Haul trucks are not known for their comfort. (laughs) 
We drove to Nebraska, the middle of Nebraska, where her parents live. And even on the ride there, she experienced further complications. And so I said, look, why don't you stay here? I'll drive the U-Haul out. My brother-in-law volunteered to go with me. Drove out to Southern California, broke down in Provo, Utah. Made it out to Southern California. Found an apartment. Gail told me, she says, look, whatever you do, just don't hang the pictures. I'm not interior decorator, okay? She says, I trust you. I'm fine as a place. Our rent value tripled in price. Found a place. Then when we thought she was better, I made plane reservations. Then once again, there's no internet. You got to get on the phone. You got to call the plane, you know, the companies or travel agent. I was so stupid, you know. So she flew from Lincoln to Kansas City, had to get off the plane, onto a bus to get on another plane, to Denver, Colorado, had to get off the plane, get on, you know, get on another plane to LAX. I haven't seen my wife in about two and a half weeks. I'm at LAX airport waiting for her to get off the plane. The first person off is a stewardess. And she says, is there a Rick Hine here? And I said, yeah, that would be me. She said, your wife is going to need some medical attention. I just want you to know that. She's having some complications. I said, okay. First person off the plane is Gail. Of course, then you know, they bring you out in a wheelchair. And she's got a, a blanket over her lap. She takes off the blanket and her pants are covered in blood. So we get her in the car. I called Rick and he said, look, here's the name of Kay's OBGYN. Give him a call. Tell him I gave you his number. So we got her in. She was on bed rest for a couple weeks. After that, she was doing better. This baby was due in March. Saturday night, January 21st, Gail starts having contractions. I'm really excited. I mean, I'm, you know, I can hardly wait. She goes, no, 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 no. It's too early. It's too early. I think, ah, you know. The night of that night, Sunday morning, we take her into the hospital and she gives birth to this boy five weeks early. And yet he was six pounds, eight ounces. He was a horse. (laughs) He was the biggest kid in the NICU. He was in there for 17 days, but he was completely fine afterwards. And that's our oldest son, Seth, who many of you know, who lives at the lake. God's random arrow hit its mark. Tell you another story. Father-in-law, small town in Nebraska. Name was Bob Swanda. Bob passed away in January of 2017. Bob was a good man. People in town liked him. He'd He'd do things for people. He'd serve people, such a servant. But he didn't know the Lord Jesus, lived outside of a relationship with God. After Bob passed away, Gail and I went back and actually kind of did a timetable thing. And it turns out she had prayed for her dad for 40 years to know the Lord. And just wouldn't ever do it, would never accept Christ. He became really ill near the end of his life, was placed in a hospital. And on Christmas Eve of 2016, we get a phone call from Gail's uh, niece. Aunt Gail, I think Grandpa became a Christian. 
really, what happened? So Gail called her dad. Hey, dad, what's going on? Bree called. And he told her the story. What had happened is after the first, their first daughter, Gail's oldest sister, was born, Gail's mom had contracted meningitis, and her grandma found her unconscious on the floor. Fortunately, the small-town doctor was able to diagnose it accurately, and she lived. Now, during that time, though, it was touch and go. They thought they might lose her. And Bob prayed, God, if you heal my wife and get her through this, I'll give my life to you. Well, God healed her, but he didn't give his life to the Lord. And here he is, 60-some years later, and God pulls back his bow and shoots a random arrow. And it hits Bob in his heart, and he remembers that promise. And he gave his heart to Jesus. Listen, guys, God's shooting random arrows at you all the time. And he wants you to know, I love you. I love you. Some of you may think, I just don't see God at work. I don't know where he is. I don't hear his voice. Look around. Just look around. You'll find those arrows all over the place. If the band will come up, we're getting ready to sing a song. I love this song. The chorus is one of my favorites. And it's only three words. You are good. (laughs) We need to be reminded, folks, that God is good. Because this culture and this world tells us everything. Circumstances tell us contrary. God is good. Listen, he is relentlessly, trust me, he is relentlessly after you shooting his random arrows so that you will know how much you are loved by him. Let's stand.